Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is both practical and contemporary, that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. Everyone knows the word anxiety. Everyone knows the word worry. In fact, it seems like sometimes these words are in fashion because it seems like every other person around us has anxiety problems or worry problems. And the fact that many people do indeed suffer with worry and anxiety is not new. In the 90s, the National Institute of Mental Health conducted a study which took about six years to complete. The study looked at 10,000 different people from different walks of life, and they were checked against criteria for some 13 different issues or problems. And at that time, they concluded that one out of eight adults uh, suffers with anxiety. Now we're not talking about anxiety the way sometimes people around in the community talk about it, which means I'm, I'm a little worried or concerned about it, talking about anxiety in a clinical sense, which is a little more involved. And they found out that the people that had anxiety were quite troubled, which is nothing new, right? We can understand that. Well, things have not changed very much uh, since then. Anxiety continues to be a major problem in our society. Worry continues to be one of the main and common features of being living in our modern days. And again, worry is not new. Anxiety is not new. People have been talking about these things for many, many centuries now. But it seems to me like lately, and with lately I mean in our recent times, there is a lot more of that. In fact, it seems to me that in a paradoxical way, sometimes we see more of it in areas where there is more affluence than in places where perhaps people struggle, but they have what they, just what they need. I don't remember, for example, living and growing up in a village up in a mountain in central Italy, I don't recall my family or extended family ever having anxiety or worry problem, except for the time where I decided to walk to China when I was three and I didn't show up for lunch. Then they were worried, but for a different reason. I found out how much they were worried by the way they made me run around the table when I go back. Anyhow. But little stories aside, anxiety, worry tends to be a problem. In fact, a doctor has con conducted some studies on that, and uh, he found out that 40% of the people that tend to worry, worry over things that never happened. 
40%. of the worries were over things of the past, things that are gone. I guess that kind of worry is that they're afraid that they will happen again, but they don't. They're already happened, and there's nothing that can be done about them. 12% were anxious over their health, although the only illness that they had was in their imagination. So 12% of the people were concerned about their health, and yet they were healthy. They were not concerned. They were worried about their health. And yet, look, they were healthy. 10% worried over their families and friends and neighbors, although in most cases those people were endowed with enough common sense to look after themselves, and they were doing okay. And only 8% of the worries had real causes which needed attention and therefore could be defined as concerns. It's kind of interesting when you look at that because it does portray a very good picture. 92% of the things that we worried about, according to the study conducted by that doctor, are things that we absolutely can do nothing about. In fact, for the most part, they are imaginary things. They would never really happen. And some food for thought. Now, there's a difference. There's quite a difference between worry and legitimate concern. Worry actually is a word that comes from the, an old Anglo-Saxon word which meant to strangle or to choke. Think about that. I kind of like that. Why? Because it, it gives us a good description of that emotion. An emotion that it has been demonstrated again and again that will cause us to lose effectiveness and it's an emotion that stifles us, that causes us to not be able to function properly, properly as if something was choking us um, or strangling us. In addition to the feeling that it gives us here in the chest when we're particularly worried or anxious, which then is part of that descriptive noun that the old Anglo-Saxons gave it, it is also descriptive of the fact that it locks us in and it stops us from being effective and functional. Well, someone named Harold Stephens, I, I don't know exactly who he is, please forgive me, but I know one thing he said, and he said that there is a great difference between worry and concern. A worried person sees the problem. The concerned person resolves the problem. So I like that because it gives us a functional definition of the difference between the two. When we worry, we see problems, we usually end up not doing anything about them because we're too busy and too engaged in worrying about them. But when we are concerned about something, we are moved and, well, we are moved to find solutions. We are moved to address the matter and the, and, and the situation at hand. So first of all, worry tends to be unreal, therefore there is nothing that we can do about it except for worrying about it. Concern is more about something real and therefore we can measure it, we can evaluate it, we can consider it and find solutions perhaps to it or things that we can do to cope with whatever situation we are concerned about. Now our passage here today in Matthew 6 addresses worry and anxiety. It's not about legitimate concerns. It is about worry. It is about anxiety. It is about those choking feelings that sometimes we, we, we have because of the worry that we have. And he begins by addressing the fact that we cannot have two masters. We cannot have two masters because either we're going to hate one and love the other or we'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And what he said 
in here, I think is particularly important. You cannot serve God and wealth. Interesting. We cannot serve God and wealth. It means that when we worry about things, when we worry about wealth, for example, we start serving wealth. We don't use wealth. We serve it. And that's where the difference comes. It's not, there's nothing wrong with having some wealth. There's nothing wrong with being blessed by God with wealth, if that were to be the case. But when we serve it, yes, there's definitely something wrong. And Jesus made it very clear. You cannot serve God and wealth at the same time because they, they will direct you in opposite directions. What is the topic of what Jesus is talking about here? Well, he's talking about people's being, people being worried about their wealth, their possessions, their material things. And I find it very interesting that then immediately he includes, introduces perhaps a paradox. And what's the paradox that he's introducing? Well, we're talking about either serving God or serving wealth. When you're serving wealth, you're serving the accumulation of earthly things, the accumulation of physical things, right? Material things. But then immediately switches to the essential things. Things like basic needs, food and clothing. And I'm thinking, okay, but we're addressing wealth, but now you're making a statement about food and clothing, essentials. And I think it is almost like a, a reverse hyperbole where Jesus, in essence, presents this case to us. If you don't have to worry about your essentials, how much more should you not worry about wealth and the accumulation of physical and material things and possessions? And so he, he goes to the other extreme. He goes to the fact that, look, even, even for your own essential things, like food and clothing, I mean, we cannot survive without food, and we will probably die of hyperthermia without clothing, especially in the winter, right? But even for those things, we don't have to worry. So how much less should we worry about the accumulation of physical wealth? And I think it's a good point that he's making. So he says, verse 25, he says, for this reason. Now, usually, I don't know if you have a Bible with divisions in there that have been added, like subtitles and so on, which are not part of a text anyway. But usually they put a subtitle between verse 24 and verse 25, as if we are now in entering into a completely new topic. And yet, verse 25 begins with a statement, for this reason. What reason? Because you cannot serve God and wealth. So they are not two separate topics. It's one and the same thing that Jesus is talking about. Because you cannot serve God and wealth, then you need to consider, don't be worried about your life, like what you will eat or what will you put on as clothing. That's interesting, though, that in the context of verse 25, as he's responding to serving God and or wealth, Jesus then says, look at life. Is life not more than food? Are we alive only to eat? Are we just eating machines? That that's all that we're supposed to do with life? Yes, life requires food, sure, I, I understand. But isn't life more about than food? Don't we eat in order to do other things? So if God gave you life, which is more valuable, more important, a broader context, more encompassing, if God gave you life, wouldn't he give you the food that you need to sustain that life that God gave you? Then he says, look at the body. Is the body not more than clothing? Does our body only exist like a, as a mannequin, only to carry some clothes on and display the latest fashion, maybe? Of course, we are not just mannequins, are we? Our bodies serve a purpose, which is much more than just display 
a certain line of clothing. So then God, who gave you that body to use, would he also not provide a covering for that body? Think. Think for a second. The worst case scenario, Adam and Eve looking at God, talking with God in person. You know, don't you wish? So many people sometimes come up to me and says, God told me. God told me to do this. God told me to do that. For some reason, usually those statements are not quite scriptural. They are not quite in, in agreement with what scripture would say that the Christian behavior tends to be. So I, I am puzzled. Would God tell them to do something that in the Bible God tells them not to do? Of course not, right? So why do they say God told me to do this? Well, because they want to make sure that they have authority behind their own decision and choice. Don't you wish that God sometimes would talk to you in person the way he did to Adam and Eve? Well, he did. And Adam and Eve turned around. They rebelled against him. And they sinned. And they had to be put out of the Garden of Eden for their own good. But look at what God did before he sent them out. He made a covering for them. And suitable, appropriate covering. They would cover not just their body, but would also cover their shame. And he did it through a sacrifice as a, as a symbol of what? As a type of what? As a message of redemption, pointing to the sacrifice of Christ, which is the ultimate covering for our shame. So then, God who gave you the body to use, would it not give you the food to support that body? Now then it says that God provides for us. He, he tells us, look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. But look at the birds of the air, for example. Are you not much more than they are? Isn't God, has not God created us to have a relationship with him? With a capacity to connect with him, to relate to him? Something that he did not give the birds to, the ability to do? And then he asks a question in verse 27, I think is a very important question. When God provides for us, does worry add anything to it? He says, who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Well, listen, evidence is in. The evidence is in. And we know, actually, by worrying, you're not adding an hour to your life. You're taking it away. By worrying and worrying, we actually shorten our life. We don't increase it. We don't prolong it. But honestly, when God provides for us, do we really add anything to that provision by sitting there and worrying about it? The answer is evident. The answer is obvious. Actually, worrying is like a choking that stops us from being active, from doing what we are called to do, from doing what we are supposed to do. Therefore, I think it would actually end up providing less of what we need, of what we need to do, than anything else. And so it is counterproductive. It doesn't help. And then it says, why are you worried about clothing? See, God would provide. It says, why are you worried about clothing? And he makes a point about the simplicity and yet the beauty of the lilies of the field. And he makes a point that even Solomon did not wear things that were as beautiful as that. But then again, it points to the fact that if God has provided for something as insignificant as the grass, which is just gone in a season, would he not then provide for us as well? And then he points the finger to the real problem. A real problem that oftentimes we, we miss. You know, we go all over the place. We go to all sorts of different people to say, I'm worried. I am anxious. I need something for my anxiety. I need something for my worry. And you know what? None of them tells them what they really need. Jesus did. In that one statement, Oh, you of little faith. And there you have it. The big revelation, the complicated thing that it takes rocket science to understand, right? 
Oh, you little faith, why are you worrying so much about things? Because you don't trust God, because, you, because of faith. You are a little faith, that means that's where the problem comes from. What does faith have to do with it? Why is it it is the pagans that worry about these things, and we shouldn't? I'll tell you why, very simple. Pagans don't know God. If they don't know God, they can't trust Him. We do. If we know God, we know we can trust Him, Therefore, we should be able to trust him and have faith in him, and therefore we shouldn't be able to, shouldn't need to worry like the pagans do. Wow, rocket science, right there. Got the formula? Didn't take a computer to calculate it, right? Could solutions for things be really that simple? Believe me, they are. Because if you really know that God loves you and he wants the best for you, that God has called you for a reason, that God has a purpose for you, that God in his wisdom knows what you need and knows how to bring it about, that God in his power has everything that he takes to make it happen. What the world do you have to worry about? If you trust God, what do you really have to worry about? Do you think that God is going to let you down? Do you think that God is going to drop you? We're called to trust that God knows what we need. And that's what Jesus' message here is. Instead of worrying about things, know that God takes care of you. Now, sure, God may not give us luxury. Because maybe at a certain point in life, God knows that we need something else. I remember being in Italy. I grew up having just about everything I, I needed and wanted. Not everything I wanted, of course, because that doesn't happen for anyone, right? But even some of the things I wanted, I was able to have them. We were doing okay. My parents were working very, very hard in their business and were able to support the family fairly well. Then came God's calling, and I decided to leave Italy and leave my job, leave my own business. I had my own business back then as a young man, and it actually was beginning to catch on. It takes a while. So I decided to leave everything and go to California to go to Bible college. There in California, I remember meeting a young lady at the Japanese get-together who went to the, her dorm and said to her friends that she couldn't stand me or something like that. I wasn't there, I wasn't spying in the dorm, and therefore I don't know exactly what she said, but I heard voice that she said something to that effect. Eventually we ended up getting married, you know how the things go. Um, so we ended up getting married, and when we got married, well, God had a plan for us. God had a plan to teach us how to trust him. 20 cents in a pocket, 40 cents in a bank, college bill to pay, food missing in the house. Eventually, Sue got pregnant with Daniel. We were afraid that she was going to lose him. And we had very, very little to go by. And I'll never forget the day when she screamed. And you heard me saying that before, so please bear with me. As an old man, I am entitled to repeat the story a few times, right? Whatever little bit of ha white hair I have gives me the right to repeat the story a couple of times, correct? Thank you. That's very kind of you. I appreciate it. But you know why I repeated this story? Because I repeat the story because that is a fundamental time in our life where God taught us not to worry and to trust him. We were doing, yes, we were doing everything we could. I was working as much as I could and even more as a foreign student. In fact, there was one time when a man called Karl Kathy would call me to start an Italian magazine to share the gospel down in Italy, where even though I was only allowed to work 20 hours a week, um, but I was working more. Not, not paid, only paid for 20 hours, but ended up putting more hours uh, in order to get this magazine going. But the point is that we were doing everything we could, and yet we were still not making it. We were a young couple trying to survive in there, and basically all that we had to go by is prayer. 
And you know the story. My wife opens the door. She screams like she saw, she saw something horrible outside there. And I go, ah, what's going on in here? So I go outside and yes, bags of groceries in front of the door with exactly the items we have been praying for. Why would God do that? Not just once, but on several occasions. Why would God do that? Wasn't the message to tell us, look, you may be stretched thin, but when you come to the point of actual needs, I have a million times more ways to provide than you can possibly ever imagine in your wildest imagination. I'll never forget Raul Ramos, a good fellow pastor who attends to the Spanish churches in California, even to this day, if I'm not mistaken. And how one day he forced me to go with him to the store to buy some things for Sue, because she, she had just been anointed, because we were afraid she was going to lose Daniel. And I will never forget the experience of him taking the cart in the store, sorry, New England, carriage in the store, and kind of really, literally driving it through the aisles, and then coming to a screeching halt, stopping at one point and said, you need this, and put it in the in the cart. And then he would speed down the aisle again and then come to a screeching stop and say, you need this, and put it in there. And by the time we checked out, inside that cart were exactly the same things we had been praying for that morning. Is it this a message of miracles? No, not necessarily. The message that Jesus gives us here is a message of trust. Of trust in a God that can resolve a problem in myriads of different ways. However, generally using his people. So sometimes we'll be on the receiving side, sometimes we'll be on the giving side, but we will be still in the communion that we share with God in Christ by the Holy Spirit. God says, seek first the kingdom of God. Notice the way he, that he places that context. The first thing we tend to ignore, seek first. That does not give us an excuse to stop working and expecting us to live at the expense of other people. Because the fact that God says, seek first his kingdom, does not exclude the fact that we're going to do labor and do what we need to do to get food and clothing. It's a matter of priority, not at the exclusion of working, but seeking the kingdom first. That means as you go to work, go to work as unto the Lord, as elsewhere in Scripture is stated. But notice again, Seek first what? His kingdom, not our kingdom. His kingdom, right? And added to that, the next statement is his righteousness, not our own, his righteousness. Why do I emphasize that? Well, because oftentimes we try to work out our own righteousness. And sometimes we even have the false idea that if we do well in life, we are righteous people. We must be doing something well, something right, if God has blessed us with wealth. Or, even worse, we must be doing something right if we manage to earn and make ourselves a fortune. I must be a good person. Hopefully, maybe, but not necessarily, right? Because we're not talking about our righteousness here, but his righteousness. And the only way that I know for us to display his righteousness in our life is to trust him and surrender to him and allow him to direct our life through thick and thin, through the seven fat cows and the seven lean cows. Whatever happens in our life, we depend on him. And as we surrender to him and to his will, then we learn. And as we learn, we acquire and we learn, we grow in his righteousness. There was a clock, a clock that decided to think, so you know this is a made-up story, right? In fact, as the clock decided to think, it started worrying. And this grandfather clock, actually, you know how they make a tick-tock, 
TikTok sound. As he started worrying about what, the work that he had to do, very quickly it became overwhelming because with one TikTok each second, the clock would make 120 sounds each minute. TikTok, 60 times. 120 each minute. That means that he would need to make 7,200 sounds every hour for a total of 172,800 sounds a day. But the worrying clock figured out that that meant making 63 million sounds every year and running for 10 years, he would mean 630 million sounds. Oh my. But wait, a grandfather clock is built to lasts more than 10 years. It's built to last for decades. How many countless millions of sounds do I have to produce, says the clock. How can I possibly handle that? And he started worrying so much about that that the clock stopped until he realized, wait a minute, I don't have to worry about all that. All I have to worry is about making that tick and that talk. That's all. That's all my work. I can do that. And started working again. All right, silly story may be, right? And yet, isn't that the way we are? Oh man, we want to manage our own life, the whole life. We want to be control freaks about our life and we want to imagine everything is going to happen and everything has to happen our way, when in reality, all you have to do is take the next breath, take the next step, make the next decision and make it right. Not 10 decisions down the road, this decision. You know what the book of Proverbs tells us about our planning? We plan and we think we are going to manage things. Oh boy, do we think we can manipulate the future with our plans. And we get upset and anxious where it doesn't quite work the way we want. The book of Proverbs reminds us that it's our job to make plans, but it is God's job to control the outcome. The outcome of those plans are not, is not in our hands to begin with. So Jesus here makes a point and says, then why not just trust him? Instead of worrying about the outcome, which is not up to you anyway, why not just trust him? Don't you know that God has created you for a purpose? Don't you know that God has created you for a reason? That he wants a glorious future for you? That he wants all the very best for you? So then why not trust him? Has he displayed himself as being untrustworthy, not trustable? Or let me see, he changed himself to reach out to us. He made himself human like us, to connect with us, to redeem us. He gave his life for us, didn't he? He's living for us. Yes, Jesus Christ, Messiah, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, is interceding for you right now, all right? Of all the things that we trust, make a mental list. What do you trust? What do I trust? Of all the things that we trust, has any of them done more for us than God has? And you know the answer, definitely not. Because even the best companion in the whole world, in one way or another, has let us down. And yet, we still trust him. God, who never let us down, we end up questioning. So Jesus is right. Perhaps the problem when we worry about things, when we experience anxiety, the problem maybe is rooted in that statement, Oh, you a little faith. Ah, the peace that we can get, that we can experience, that we can enjoy when we trust God. Each day has enough trouble, Jesus says. Now, notice, by the way, he doesn't say each day is going to be just fine. It's all rose petals, no thorns. No, each day, he said, has enough trouble. In other words, yes, you will experience trouble. You will experience challenges. You will experience difficulties. 
But each day is sufficient. You don't have to worry about the troubles or the difficulties of the next day. Just make it through today because God is in control. Even though we experience trouble, even though we experience problems, even though we experience difficulties, God is still in control and he will measure it. And in Corinthians, he reminds us that he will never expose us to anything that we cannot handle in him. But we need to be in him because it is in him that we can handle it. So he will see us through and he will see us through the challenges of tomorrow just like he saw us through the challenges of today. You make it through one day, you'll make it through the next one. And eventually, when the day comes, that day that we can call our last day will still be secure because maybe that day will be the first of forever. Should I correct myself? I see you nodding your heads in agreement, but you didn't realize a mistake in that statement. Gotcha. What do you mean, maybe? What do you mean, maybe? You should have stood up and said, wait a minute. What do you mean, maybe? That day is not maybe the first day of forever. That day will be. That day is graduation day. That day is the beginning, not the end. And therefore, I am okay in Christ who gave his life for me. Ah, now we're talking trust. And in that trust, we are reminded that it's still, again, a matter of faith. And the insurance, the assurance that we have in Christ by faith. So... Are you worried? Are you anxious? Talk to God. Let him know. Confess that. Share with him. Pray about it. Ask. If you have a need, ask. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be open. But at the same time, don't just ask, James would say, to to spend in your pleasures and in your lusts. Ask in trust, knowing that not only God wants to provide for your needs and our needs, but God has also called us for a purpose, for a reason, and he's working with us in such a way that that work, that work, that purpose, that reason, that relationship that we are building will be completed. The work that he has started in us will be led to completion. We can be resting reassured about that. No matter what happens, no matter what goes on, like the writer said, we can also join in and say, all is well with my soul. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so very much for your grace. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for the reassurance that you give us on a daily basis that you are with us and in us. And therefore, we can fully trust in you. We can depend on you. We can have faith in you in such a way that we'll be able to experience the peace that we have in you. Yes, each day will carry sorrows, difficulties, troubles, challenges, maybe difficult decisions to make, and some days will bring in, bring in a remembrance of your grace, a remembrance of the peace that you give us. But in all of that, in all of that, give us the heart, please, that seeks your kingdom first, your righteousness first, so that in all things, in the joys of a day, in the sorrows of a day, in the challenges of the day, in the successes of the day, that we will all indeed be at one with you and serve you in all things. We thank you, we worship you, we honor you, we love you, and we do it all in Jesus' name. Amen.